here, thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And um, man, I hope this message is helpful to you. I hope this uh, church has received you with wide open arms. And our desire is that you will make Downey First Christian Church your church home. And obviously, the most important thing is Jesus, the Lord of your life. And so um, for those of us who are here every Sunday, I just want to remind you, we are Christ's ambassadors. And so feel free to invite your friends, invite your neighbors, etc. Bring them into this space, uh, because if the message and the worship is helpful to you, why not invite a friend, Okay. Also, if this um, church is new to you, I would love to meet you. No pressure, I promise you. I just want to say hi. I want to introduce myself. And so uh, when I'm done preaching here, I'm going to walk out that door. I'm going to make a right, and you're going to see that there's a guest lounge. A guest lounge is a little living room area, and I would love to meet you, and I would love, love to just introduce myself. I promise I won't take up 30 minutes of your time. It'll be probably about 30 seconds. I just want to see your face. Because the problem is, um, most of the time, church is over, and I want to, I want to see the new people. And uh, I love you guys. You guys who are here every Sunday, I love you to death, but sometimes I get caught up and I'm not able to actually meet you, and so I'm going to make that uh, a priority over there to be able to just introduce myself to you, and if you brought someone uh, new to the church, just go with them, go with them. I would love, I would love to meet you, and so uh, thank you again for being here. It's, a, it's such a blessing, such a blessing. So Galatians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, please go to Galatians chapter 2. If you don't, we have uh, the words on the screen. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to go to two verses today. Galatians chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 20 and 21. It says this. I have, this is Paul talking, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God for, listen to this, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Isn't that, isn't that a great couple of verses? So we're going to talk about that a little bit today as we're finishing up uh, the gospel series. We've got, I think, five or six weeks with the gospel series. This is the last message uh, of that sermon series. And next week, we're starting a brand new series. The brand new series that we're starting next week is called I Am. I am. And this is not about you. It's not I am great or I am this or I am that. It's about the seven I am's of Jesus. He talks about seven things that he is, things that, that, that Jesus says about himself that when we grasp these realities about G, who Jesus is, we'll be able to understand deeper the gospel and who Jesus is and who he has called us to be. So that starts next week. Uh, you're free to come. Bring your friends. Bring your neighbors. Uh, we're a church of wide, wide open arms. And so Today we conclude uh, this series, and I just want to give a little backstory to why we started this series. And I've kind of said the same thing every week, but I grew up believing that the gospel was for the unbeliever. Like, like I had to preach the gospel, and I had to get someone to be able to hear the gospel, and once they heard the gospel and they responded to the gospel, meaning they would walk down the aisle, they would write their name on a card, they would get baptized, they would do the sinner's prayer, then, they had no, then we had no more need for the gospel because you already heard, heard it, and now you have to move on to deeper things. And so I argue during this uh, sermon series that the gospel isn't one of the many things that we believe, but that the gospel is actually the centerpiece of all the things that we believe. 
uh, Martin Luther, a great reformer from the 1500s, says the cross alone is our theology. So everything revolves around Jesus, his death, and resurrection. The whole Bible is a united story that leads us to Jesus. The Old Testament says Jesus is coming. The Gospels say Jesus is here. The rest of the New Testament says Jesus is coming back. So it all revolves around the gospel, and that's why we are here in this space this morning. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we're wasting our time, right? So it's a reminder over and over and over again about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going we're gonna to look at it from a different angle. And the title of the message for today is From Death to Life. From Death to Life. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And so I want to start off with a question. I want to start off with a question. And the question is this, drum roll, um, how many of you guys consider yourselves planners? Are you pl planners? Are you guys planners? No? Yeah, kind of, kind of. What, how, how many of you guys would say, I'm a planner? Like, yeah, that's me, that's me too. I need to plan out my day, I need to plan out my week, I need to plan out my year, right? Uh, how many of you guys here are just kind of like go with the flow? Like you have kind of a, kind of a plan, but you're like more of a day-to-day -day kind of like go with the flow, Yeah. Yeah, a few of you, a few of you, okay. So I'm, I'm definitely a planner, um, and I had a plan for my whole life. Like when I was 16, I had a plan for my life. I was going to be a touring drummer with my band, and that was going to be my whole life. I was going to be a studio recording drummer, and I was going to tour with it. That was it. That's at 16. That was my plan, okay? Fast forward 30 years later, I'm 46 years old, and I'm pastoring a church, so let's just say that that perfect plan that I had for my life, well, thank you, thank you. I think that God, well, yes, and my dad's here, so he can, he can corroborate how God just kind of changed my plan into his actual purpose and not my own selfish desires of fame. And so that's a whole other story that I might actually do a whole series on. I was, I was actually thinking about that last week. I was thinking about a, a, series, a sermon series that I could preach called Losing My Religion. And a whole series just talking about the difference between religion and Christianity. Okay? So, sound good? I don't know. I was just thinking about that yesterday. And I, and I could kind of tell my story because that's kind of my story. I, I lost my religion and I actually found Jesus, which is amazing. And so anyway, my perfect plan, it didn't, it didn't work. Right? It didn't work. And so maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you have a plan for your life. You have a, or you had a plan for your life. And maybe you're here and, and you're, you're at whatever stage of life that you're in right now. And you're like, you know what? I have this plan for my life and it's completely different than when I thought it was. Maybe something happened in your journey. Like you were in the journey of life and you had a financial setback. Or somebody got sick. Or something happened in your life that kind of turned everything around. And you're at a space right now where you look back and you're like, man, that's completely different than what I thought, and so you feel kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm fulfilling my purpose. Or maybe you're here, and you've reached all your goals. Like, you set out all these goals for your life, and man, you hit all of them, and maybe you even surpass the goals that you set for your life. But it doesn't feel like you thought it would feel. You reached everything, but you're like, man, it just doesn't feel like, I, I thought it would feel differently, you know? Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about this whole idea of our own personal plans for our lives because I would say that it is possible, no matter where you're at right now in life, that when you look at a scripture like John 10.10 10, that says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have, but I have come, I have come that you may have life and have it to, to the full, 
You're like, there's this gap between this fulfilling life, this amazing life, this life to the full, and how I actually feel. Like, it's not that I don't believe it. It's just that I feel like there's this dissonance between what Jesus promises and how I'm actually living my life. You see, I used to believe that that John 10.10 was about heaven. Like, I thought John 10.10 was about this amazing life that you're going to have on the other side of eternity. You see, I, I grew up believing that, that I had this theology that I would call the exit theology. It was exit theology. In other words, that you're, you needed to hold on to your salvation the best that you could and hold on to this life, man. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you've got to hold on because there's going to come a time where we're going to be able to leave this place and finally be able to reach the goals and the fulfillment and all of these things. But I realized that John 10.10 10 is actually talking about here and now. It's talking about here and now. Like the life to the full is actually available to you and me in this lifetime. That's what this verse is talking about. And so if I asked you, that, do you agree or disagree that there is a dissonance? This, you don't have to answer out loud, but there's a dissonance between, between what Jesus claims to be available and how you are actually feeling or how you are actually living your life. And so the title of this message is From Death to Life. And it's a powerful title, I understand, um, because it talks about this resurrection life that is available to us. You see, resurrection is the backbone, the concept of resurrection is the backbone of everything that we believe as Christians. We follow a resurrected Christ, and he calls us to follow him in his life in his death, and then in his resurrection. We are called to be his disciples. In fact, one of the Sundays that I'm going to preach on uh, for the next series is, is one of the I am's of Jesus is I am the resurrection and the life. And so I don't know about you. I love the resurrection part. I'm like, man, Jesus comes into my life. He raises me from death to life. He gives me purpose. He gives me a calling. He makes me happy. He gives me peace. Like, I love this whole idea of what we receive from God, from him. We talked last week about the the whole idea of the the vertical. Remember, we talked about the vertical. Uh, uh, Martin Luther talked about the vertical versus the horizontal. The vertical is everything that we freely receive from Christ as a result of not what we do, but what Christ did. So we receive this shower of blessings. We receive forgiveness. We receive salvation. We receive a welcome. We receive access. We receive a clean slate. We receive a new beginning. It is finished. We know that the vertical blessing that we get from God, we can say everything that I need. In Christ, I already have. I have it now. Now, waiting for something else to happen. Jesus paid the whole price. That life, that salvation is available now. Everything that I need in Christ, I already have. So, with this avalanche of grace that we receive from the throne comes a calling. A calling. A response to this vertical, undeserved blessing that we receive. And our response to this calling will determine what kind of life we're going to live. You see, we can settle for exit theology. We can settle for that. Like, I'm just going to hold on to my salvation. I'm going to barely make it into heaven, but I'm going to just, you know, hold on to this as, as much as I can until I finally receive what I'm called, what the, the heaven promise, right? Or... We can step into a life that is truly life. 
that is the, the life that Jesus talks about that is available to us in John 10.10. 10. The answer to this question of whether or not you're going to have exit theology or actually live a full life is answered in one word. Disciple. Discipleship. Discipleship. This, is, this, is, this word is so important in the Bible. Discipleship. You see, the Greek for discipleship means follower. Follower means that it's, it's, um, it's rabbinic uh, uh, language. So if you follow a rabbi, you literally do everything that your rabbi does. He does. You do the whole thing. You walk the way he walks. You talk the way he walks. You do the things that he does. You interpret the scripture the way your rabbi interprets scripture. So Jesus is saying, we are called to be disciples. This is our calling. To be disciples and to make disciples. That's our calling. Okay? Our, our calling is not get yourself saved and save others. Because Jesus is the one who completed that task for us on the cross. That's not our role. Jesus does the whole thing. He calls, he saves, and he gives growth. And so for salvation, there's a cost. There's a cost for salvation. And that cost is not meant to be paid by you. Jesus paid the full cost of our salvation on the cross. That's completed. Case closed. We don't save ourselves. Jesus does the entire work for us. So for salvation, there's a cost. And that cost was paid in full by Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Tetelestai, we've talked about that. He completed what he said it is finished. He meant it. There's nothing more to add. He did the whole thing. So there's a cost for salvation, and Jesus paid that cost. But to be a disciple, there's also a cost. And this cost is not very sexy. I'll tell you that right now. Luke 9.23 says this. He, then he said to them, to whoever was listening, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Luke 14, 27 says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, I understand this is not a, a necessarily a, a church growth strategy, okay? So, so I grew up with altar calls. Like, I saw a lot of altar calls. And altar calls was this moment in the service where there's music and the pastor's preaching and you're saying, come to Jesus, just come to Jesus. You know, he's going to solve your problems. He's going to make your life better. You will be happier as a result of Jesus. There's all these promises. That just come. Just come to the altar and do a prayer, and all your life is going to start to work out. It's a very appealing, very beautiful moment, an emotional moment for many people. I never heard someone preach at a revival or, or whatever you'll call it and say, come to Jesus and die to your dreams. Come to Jesus and give up every project that you have ever dreamed of. Come to Jesus and embrace suffering. Never heard that before. Or maybe it's, it's, but it's not very popular. It's not a very popular message, especially nowadays. There's this uh, pastor who had a church in Simi Valley called Cornerstone. His name was Francis Chan. He wrote a book called Crazy Love. Great book, by the way. Highly recommend it. Um, and he says this. I don't know if it, if it was in one of his books or he said it in one of his conferences. Uh, he says this. He says, I, I think that if, if Jesus had a church now, he had a mega church. I mean, uh, Francis Chan had a mega church. If Jesus had a church now, he's like, I think my church would be bigger. 
It sounds like an arrogant thought, but then he unpacks it and he says this. He says, because Jesus would call, he calls his followers to a greater commitment than I ever do. And what happens as a result of that, you know, when Jesus did it, he says, he says eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a lot of people were like, dude, I'm out. What the, like, what does that even mean? And so the crowd started thinning out because it was a bigger commitment. And so what Paul is saying in these two verses that we read at the beginning, he's saying this about himself to the Galatians. He's saying this. He's saying, I am a disciple of Jesus. That's what he's saying in those two verses. He's saying, I am a disciple of Jesus. Now, I want to give just a little disclaimer. This is kind of general for all of us. We are not to look at Paul for discipleship. Let me just unpack that. We're not called to be disciples of Paul, okay? You, you are not called to be my disciples. None of you are called to be Mark's disciples or your growth group leader's disciples or Shay's disciples or anyone's disciples. We are called, listen to this, this is really important. We are called to make disciples of Jesus, Okay, this is really an important distinction because Paul says it himself. He's making this very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Um, Paul says in, in, Tim, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the worst of sinners, by the way. He says that. Paul, at his older age, he's saying, I am the worst. Like, he says, I am the chief of sinners. Like, of all the sinners that I know, I am the worst. He says that. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.11, he says, don't follow me. He literally says, don't follow me. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, but don't follow me. I'm a mere human. Follow Jesus. And so when we look at Paul and we look at Galatians and all the teachings of Paul, it's very important for us to understand that we're not to look at Paul. We're, we're to look at Paul and say, okay, this is how a disciple like kind of fleshed out looks like as he follows Jesus. So I can follow Jesus as he follows Jesus. The same for me, the same for the people that are in leadership in this church. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? Paul is talking about that, and he's paralleling, he's making a parallel between what Jesus said. Take up your cross daily and follow me, deny yourself. He says the same thing in Galatians. He's saying, that's what I'm doing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Does he mean this literally? Of course not. He, did, he wasn't one of the criminals on the cross next to Jesus. He didn't literally die on that cross what, what does he mean? What does he mean? This is a metaphor. He's saying, also, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Does he mean this literally? No, he doesn't mean it literally. He did not literally physically die with Jesus on the cross, and he's not literally saying, I am now perfect like Jesus. He's saying, I am a disciple. And the reason why he's saying I'm a disciple, because he says, I no longer live. What is it that Jesus said? Deny yourself. I no longer live. Paul is saying, I am doing that. What's the other thing that Jesus says? Jesus says, um, uh, take up your cross. And Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, okay? Um, and then Jesus says daily, right? And then Paul is saying, I no longer live. So my day-to-day -day is dedicated, not one event, like, hey, one time I respond to Jesus, and then I move on. He says, this is my life. This is my life. And so how does he do it? He then says, the life I now live in the body. So he's admitting, like, it's not like I'm Jesus now. He's saying, I live in the body, which is helpful to us. He's telling us how to be a disciple, how to live this life. And he's about to tell you how he lives the life of a disciple. 
He used to, so Paul used to live by good works. The Pharisee, good works, doing good, trying harder, checking all the boxes, winning all the approval of God and others. But something happened in the life of Paul that shifted. He went from doing things good for God to accepting the grace of God and walking in faith. Why does he, he says that literally? He says, I live by the faith in the Son of God. So the life he now lives, try to follow me with this because this has to do with us, how we're supposed to do it. The life I now live, he lives what? He lives by the faith. Not faith in his own willpower, not faith in his past success, not faith in his determination, but faith in something that is outside of himself, which needs to be true for us as well. You see, Paul experienced a, a, a moment in his ministry as, as, a, as a persecutor of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. And on, a, on the road to, to, to Damascus, he has this life-altering moment. There's this moment when it was just, it was mind-blowing. He met Jesus. And then, and then his life shifted completely from trusting in his own works. So he went from trusting in his own works for God. He shifted to putting faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. And it changed everything. And you see, maybe you're here today, and you have a story like this. Maybe not literally like Paul's story, but you have a moment in your life that you can point at where, where you just received the vertical of, of, of Christ. You received, like you felt it. You felt the power of God. You felt the forgiveness. You felt the salvation. You felt the welcome. You felt the, the access, the clean slate, the new beginning. Like you felt that from God. Um, and you can look back at that moment. When you're like, man, God was so real. He was so real. Like I could feel the presence of God in my life. Like he was, like I felt like I could smell him. I could touch him. And now you look at your life and you're like, oh, it's just like, I don't know, man. That was a great moment. But now my life is kind of flat. Well, not Paul's. Paul's life was not flat. See, for Paul, it wasn't just a life-altering event in his life. But his day-to-day was also transformed by the power of Jesus. You see, Paul says, the life I now live in the body, right? So his day-to-day, when he went grocery shopping, right? When he uh, had interaction with people, his bills, like life, in his life, he says, I still live by the faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why he says this, and this is very important. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. You see, maybe you're here this morning and you have perhaps set aside the grace of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you think that the grace of God was only good for that first encounter that you had. And you're like, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. You get baptized and you're committed. You're like, yes, my life has changed. My life has been altered. And then you're like, I, did I, I'll take it from here. I'll, I'll, I'll just, this is, this is my life now, and I'll kind of figure it out on my own. Paul's saying no. He's saying the life I now live in the body, I still live by the faith in the one who loved me. So I don't set aside the grace of God. I don't set it aside. I walk every single day under the grace of God. It's my fuel. It's my food. It's my water. Every single day. So we, we, you and I, we have to go back to this every single time. 
And then he, he, he ends up saying this is such a beautiful phrase. We could do a whole sermon series on this. He says, for if the righteousness, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died nothing. He's saying this. He's saying it's not just about that first encounter. It's not, about, it's not about the first encounter and then setting aside the grace of God and telling God, I'll take it from here. And if that's how you're living right now, then Christ died for nothing. That's what Paul's saying. If you set aside the grace of God, you say, okay, then why did I, why did I pay this price? It's every single day we live on the grace of God. You see, if you, if you don't set it aside, you live your day by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. This verse is so important. I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because this faith life that he's talking about is not about salvation. Very important for us to understand this. The cost of salvation was paid by Jesus. Our invitation is to believe the good news. That's our invitation. This is about being a disciple. And the cost of being a disciple is this. You're not going to like it. The cost of being a disciple, you can't run away from this. The cost of being a disciple is dying to yourself. I don't think anybody likes this. Like, it doesn't sound appealing. If you, you, you're, you're called to, to do these things. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death, put it to death. Romans 8, 13 says, if, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. However, this is hard. It's hard to do this. And here's why faith is so important. Because unless you truly believe that when you put to death these things in your life, that Christ is going to come in and bring resurrection into those spaces, you're not going to do it. You have to believe that when you put to death the things in your life that are, that, are, that are making you far from God and you're putting those things to death and you don't actually believe that when you put those things to, de- to death that Jesus is going to come in and bring life into those spaces, then you're not going to do it because you will feel that you will be left with nothing. That's why you don't set aside the faith and you don't set aside the grace, it's like the, uh, the trust fall, right? We've always, you know, kind of a trust fall. Like you fall back, you're like, hey, you didn't fall. Like, no, because I didn't think you would catch me, you know? It's kind of the same idea with God. Like putting to death things, if you don't actually believe that God is there, you're not going to do it because you'll be left with nothing. You won't pay the price. And so here's how I want to kind of wrap this up today is, is that... <clears throat> Maybe you're here today, maybe you're here this morning, and you need a resurrection in your life. Like, there, there, there are parts in your life, you're like, man, that, that is, that is, there's death there. There's death there. So I want to bring you to an Old Testament story. It's, it's a moment in, uh, in the life of, of, uh, of Ezekiel. And so um, Israel was divided. Uh, supposedly, like, it was, there was the fear that none of the promises were actually going to come to fruition. It was bad. They were in exile. It was a bad moment for Israel. And then God comes to Ezekiel, the prophet, and, and this is what it says. 
Listen to this. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me. Ezekiel saying this. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of, of a valley. And it was all full. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're looking around at your life and there's, there's parts of your life that you're like, man, those are just dry bones. Like there is no way in the world that any life could come out of that. Maybe you look at your marriage right now, your marriage is just falling apart. Maybe you have relationships in your life that are dead. Maybe you've lost hope. Maybe there's financial distress. There's a health issue in your life. There's something going inside of you like you have depression or you have anxiety and you're looking at those dry bones in your life and you're like, man, this is just death. And then God maybe is asking you. He's like, can you, do you think that those dry bones could ever come to life? I said, I cannot know because it's like it seems impossible. And so, so I want to bring you into this moment, and I want you to think about the, the areas in your life where you need a resurrection, but I want to propose to you a different question. See, this is the, this is the kicker of the message. This is the, the moment that I believe that will change your perspective on life, hopefully. If Jesus allows, the Holy Spirit works through me to get this to your heart right now, is that, is that I think we asked the wrong question. I think we come to God with our problems and we're like, Lord God, please bring resurrection to my marriage. Please, God, bring resurrection to my relationship. Please heal this person. And those are great prayers. They're great prayers. And, and I believe that God can do all these things that, that, that you want him to do. I believe that he can do them. Can I promise you that he will do them? No, I cannot promise you. What I can promise you, what I can promise you this morning is that there is something in your life that you need to put to death. That I know for sure. You see, because if there's one thing I know about discipleship, is that discipleship is just, is just a small death and a small resurrection, a small death and a small resurrection. You die to this, and Jesus brings life. You die to that, and Jesus brings life. And so the question sometimes I think that we ask is, is the wrong question. Is that, Lord God, you, like, you, you, you have so much clarity as to what you want God to bring life into, but I want to bring clarity into the parts of your life that you need to put to death in order for life to come into those spaces. Do you honestly believe that if you put to death something in your life, that Christ will bring life into that? Because if you honestly believe that, you're going to do it. And so my prayer is that this morning, you will not set aside the grace of God. That you will not set aside faith in Jesus. That you will not settle for an exit theology to where you're just holding on until life ends and then things will be better. That you will not settle for just that moment in your life when you receive Jesus and you receive salvation. But that you'll be able to not just walk in your salvation, but that you will become a disciple of Jesus. And the invitation of being a disciple of Jesus means walking in his life, imitating Jesus, walking in his death. But it doesn't end in death. We know that. It ends in resurrection. So maybe you'll be able to look back when you're 46 years old and you're like, man, none of my dreams came true. <laughs> but I was obedient. 
And he brought me into the place where he called me to be. But it was so many deaths, but then so many resurrections. You see, this is not a question of salvation. Jesus paid for your salvation. It's a question of walking into this full life that is available to all of us that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. And so, Ezekiel 37, I'll I'll end here. Verse verse 4, 37.4 says this, Then he said to me, he said, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons and you will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So call me crazy. But we, 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 we follow a risen Savior. And if, and if Jesus Christ, who was flogged, who was put on a crown of thorns, who walked in a pool of his own blood on the way to Golgotha, who was nailed to a cross and was mocked and was buried, and against all logic and against all odds, no one even believed it. He rose from the dead. He can bring your marriage back to life. He can bring your relationships back to life. He can heal the person that you've been praying for. He can take away your anxiety. He can bring resurrection. He can do that. But I want you to ask yourself a different question today, a deeper question. What is it that Jesus is inviting you to put to death? He doesn't want you to suffer. See, that's the problem. Like, oh, I'm going to put that to death and then my life is going to be terrible. No, he'll bring resurrection there. And then you'll be living a life that you were created to live. And not pursuing your own thing.